the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday afternoon program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about life, things you're going through, church, anything that's on your heart. All you need to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. That's our prime number. And if you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send them that way. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. We have a lot going on, so tonight here uh, at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be teaching 1 Kings chapter 10, Queen Sheba, uh, who visits King Solomon, and um, they make quite a pair. Uh, And then tomorrow, because uh, the ladies are going to be at the women's retreat, please, please, please keep them in your prayer. Uh, We will have a pre-recorded date day edition show. On Friday, I will be coming to you live from Houston. Uh, We're having a Calvary Chapel Association uh, pastors conference uh, Thursday, Thursday night, Friday, and part of Saturday. And we will be in Houston, but we will be doing the show live. I'm going to have Pastor Bill Holdridge uh, on as a guest. And uh, he's got lots of interesting stuff. He's uh, the director of Poimon Ministries. And um, he'll explain a lot of that to you. So it should be a really interesting show on Friday. Well, let's get to the questions that have been sent in. And we will uh, move on from there. The first one is from Kaylee from our mobile app. Uh, she says, I know there's a big debate about Hebrews, about what Hebrews 6, 4 verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 is talking about. Can you explain what it's talking about? Let me read it, and then I will explain it, Kaylee. It's been a while. Uh, this is usually one of those questions that we get on the program a lot, but it's been a little bit of time since we've had it before. Hebrews 6, 4 says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and then have fallen away to be restored to repentance because they themselves are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to open shame. Now, Kaylee, this verse, these verses have been used by the devil so many times to tell people, see, you can lose your salvation, and once you mess up, you can never get back. Let me begin, as clearly as I can say, by stating what this does not say. It does not say there is no repentance. The rest of the New Testament mitigates against that possibility. If you took this just at face value and out of context, it would appear as though God is saying, look, if you blow it one time after having been introduced to Christ and you blow it, 
um, and then you've fallen away, you cannot repent. I won't take you back. But that's impossible because that contradicts the very character and the nature of God who gives abundant chances, the God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. So it doesn't mean that. So let me spend a little bit of time sharing with what it does mean. Now let's start with with the, the obvious. It is impossible. In the Greek, that's emphatic. Um, Paul, and I believe Paul to be the writer of Hebrews, he's not saying it's difficult. He's saying it's truly without possibility. It's impossible for those who've once been enlightened. Now the point here is that once you've received the knowledge of God, there's no need for anything else because any other knowledge has no value. Who else or where else can you turn for greater knowledge if Jesus is, in fact, the fullness of knowledge? And, of course, we know he is. So he says, if you've been enlightened and if you've tasted the heavenly gift. Now, the heavenly gift, of course, is Jesus himself. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15 says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And this Greek word for tested means to try or simply to perceive the flavor of, you know, I'm a, I'm a strange eater. I'll just share a little bit more about me than you need to know. Uh, I smell everything before it goes in my mouth. If I've never seen it before or if it's something I haven't tried before, I smell everything. And that's my little taste. And if I don't want the, taste, the smell, it's not going in my mouth. Well, what he's saying here is if you've tasted, you've tried Jesus, there's no place else to go. And if you shared in the Holy Spirit, and what this means is literally the people he's talking to were literally participants in the Holy Spirit. They had an experience with God the Holy Spirit. Now, what we have to do is figure out exactly what that experience was, because this is critical to an understanding of the passage. They were drawn by the para-experience of the Holy Spirit to confess that they were sinners who need a Savior. Jesus said, no one can come to me except the Father draws him, and the Father uses the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so when I say the para-experience, that's a Greek word that means the Holy Spirit has come alongside you. He hasn't come in you yet. You're not a believer, but he's come alongside you, and he can, he's convicted you of, of your problem with sin. And he's also convicted you or convinced you that Jesus alone is the answer to sin. This is the experience where we recognize the hopelessness of our sinful condition, our complete and utter inability to do anything about it. Now, here's the question to ask before we get into the next verse. Is someone a real Christian just because they've tasted? Maybe because they've answered an invitation or maybe they got baptized. Well, no more than someone is thin just because they once had a successful diet. Were they real believers? The people to whom Paul were writing, some were, in this case many, he'll say later, but others were not. And then he says, if you've tasted, this is verse 5, the goodness of the word of God. Now remember the context here. It's this warning began with Paul scolding these people because of their spiritual laziness. And I think that one of the problems we have with Hebrews is we break it up into too many compartments when it's all just a book of warnings. And the first warning was about drifting away. The next warning was about being spiritually lazy. They knew the word of God was good, but they didn't do anything with the word. That's why James, the Lord's half-brother, would say that we're to be doers and not just hearers of the word. And then he says, we've tasted the powers of the coming age. This group uh, that Paul is addressing has experienced signs and wonders and miracles, the gifts of the Holy Spirit within its midst. Yet some, according to Paul, are still in danger. That's why we go to verse 6. If they fall away to be brought back to repentance... Because to their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Let me give you Satan's, the devil's interpretation of verse 6. He will tell you that it means that if after you've been saved, you fall into sin, you've lost your salvation, there's no hope of repentance. And I'm sure almost everyone in this listening audience has at one time or another had the devil tell us that. You blew it. God will never take you again. Now, you may not have recognized the devil as the one who's saying it, but it was him. 
And one of Satan's specialties, taking the word of God out of context. That's what he does with verses like this. Now, again, this verse cannot be saying that you lose your salvation if you fall in sin. Because if it did, we'd all be lost. Is backsliding the unpardonable sin? No. Peter himself fell away. Peter disowned the Lord. Was he condemned for it? Or did Jesus promise restoration? Now, we all know the answer to that. So that's what Paul is dealing with here in this passage of Scripture. Um, This is troublesome only if you are reading the verses out of context. The book of Hebrews, people really struggle with their eternal security um, because they're not really studying this book. If you really study it, and I mean just read it and read it and read it and read it and dig in, you're going to find that this is a book that promises more eternal security than probably any other parable or any other uh, epistle in the New Testament. So that's what it means. Remember, in context, Paul was writing to Jewish converts to Christianity who had been subject now for about 20 plus years to persecution because of their conversion. And the Jews are telling them that we will accept you back All you have to do is denounce Christ and come back home to Judaism. And Paul is saying, what are you going to do for the sacrifice of sin? Do you know Jesus is the only sacrifice for sin? Later he will say that he has great hope for many of them because he knew them. And he knew what they'd suffered for the Lord. So I hope that makes sense to you, Kaylee. That's a a passage we've got to be really careful of. But you've got to read the whole book. It's something before we ever start digging Hebrews 6, the whole book of Hebrews, before we start tearing it apart, what we need to do is read it all. Just like if somebody sent you a letter, you wouldn't read it in bits and pieces. Read it all. Read it again. Get the overall context. And then you can go in and start tearing it up. So, Kaylee, I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you for the question. It is a book that will give you great comfort in your eternal security. Thank you very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Daniel says, uh, this is a good question after the question that Kaylee just sent in. Can a believer lose their salvation? You know, Daniel, every time I'm asked that, I always, people say, can you lose your salvation, Pastor Ron? I say, I don't want to. You can't lose what you didn't give. That's really important for us to understand. Hebrews, uh, we just talked about the scare verses. Ephesians chapter 1 makes it real clear that God has given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit. Now, it might be easier for you to think of it as a down payment, guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, this guarantee comes from God. Now, if God can guarantee something, that isn't really guaranteed, then Daniel, we're all in trouble. So no, a believer cannot lose their salvation. Now, one of the reasons that we struggle with this question is that we see so many professing Christians who end up turning away from God. We have a whole segment of the church now proudly calling themselves progressive Christians, whatever that means. It means they're not really Christians, but they were never really Christians to begin with. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, and he's thinking specifically about Judas. They went out from us to demonstrate they were never really a part of us. Now, there is a lot of people who will come in, they'll receive the word, they think it's great, they'll have an emotional experience, and many times they'll even get excited about serving the Lord. But because they fall away, ultimately, and usually it doesn't take too long, Their salvation wasn't genuine. Did they have an experience with Jesus? Of course they did. But did they surrender their heart to him? Did they offer their bodies as living sacrifices, as Paul says? The answer to that question is no. So, a couple of things, Daniel. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It doesn't say he began it, Daniel, but you have to complete it. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it also says that he is faithful even when we're faithless. And then, of course, he is the author, the creator or originator of our salvation. 
but he's also the finisher or perfecter of our salvation. So, Daniel, the enemy wants you to doubt the goodness of God. He wants you to doubt whether or not you can trust him. Did God really say that was his lie in the garden that tripped up Eve? Did God really say? And he hasn't changed at all. So, no, a real believer cannot lose their salvation. Now, let me deal with one other issue here, Daniel, because there is a lot of people who just give in to sin. And they, you know, we've invented this neat and tidy little word for it, backsliding. Um, but but they, they just give themselves over to sin, and it looks like they've walked away from God. It can even look like they've lost their salvation, when the reality is, is they really do belong to God and he's going to make their life miserable because they belong to him. He's going to make their life miserable until they come back to him. The parable of the prodigal son is an example of that principle. I have known Daniel so many people over the years who you can look at their life. In fact, I've got a list of them that I pray for to this day. And you'd, you'd look at their life and you'd say, oh, there's no way this guy's a believer. My heart has really been uh, hurting lately. There was a, a man who was a pastor. Um, we traveled with him. Uh, really and truly, one of the nicest men I've ever been around. Um, and I loved him. I truly loved him. And he hit some difficult places in his walk. Um, had some enormous problems. And eventually the enemy got to him. And he just turned completely away from God. And we've had people reaching out to him over and over and over throughout the years. And he just didn't want to talk to anybody. Don't make me your evangelism project, he says. Did he lose his salvation? No. But here's what I know. If he ever really was converted, and I believe with all of my heart he was, God is continuing to make his life a living hell. Because he wants him on his knees. And God will not stop to get this man on his knees. So uh, pray for the people that have fallen away. Uh, The best they can hope for is that God is going to keep chasing. I tell our people here that God is serious about the promises you make, even if you're not. And he's going to chase you. And we see a lot of people come back to Jesus. I always, when I'm praying for him, Lord, bring him back home. Bring him back home. And I'm confident that one day this man is going to come back home. So, no, a believer can't lose what a believer didn't earn or work for. Thank you, Daniel, for the question very, very much. Here is a question from Vicki. She says, I've noticed that a few people in our church, women, are wearing head coverings. Is this okay? Um, Vicki, yeah, it's okay. It's not necessary, but it's okay. I don't know where you go to church, but um, yeah, there's nothing wrong. I, I think one of the things, Vicki, we ought to do is stop worrying about what other people are wearing to church um, and, and let people have the freedom to do anything that's not sinful. Uh, I think we need to leave them alone and give them the freedom to do what they want to do. So, yeah, it's okay. It's not Again, it's not necessary to wear head coverings. Often, in cases like this, it's people that go to legalistic churches and they are struggling with an incorrect interpretation of 1 Corinthians. Um, but, but, you know, whatever isn't sin is okay. And we need to be okay with, with it. It's different. Uh, I don't think they're trying to make a, a, a statement about uh, Islam or anything else, uh, it's just it's just a, typically a legalistic view, uh, missing the entire point, Vicky, of what First Corinthians is talking about. So I hope that helps. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Uh, Jake asks me, Pastor Ron, what do you think about really emotional people during worship? We actually have some people who can't stay seated. Are they more spiritual? Now, I don't know if that last question, Jake, is a little tongue-in-cheek, but no, they're not more spiritual. You know what they are? They're more emotional. 
And, you know, people are emotional sometimes. I look out. I'm in a unique position when I go up to the to the pulpit uh, during the fourth song. Uh, I have the opportunity to look out and I can actually see people worshiping from the stage. It's a wonderful experience. Paula, uh, because she's on the worship team, she talks about that frequently um, just to see people worshiping. And I look out and there's some people that are just so into it and it blesses me to my soul. Um, um, worship typically doesn't do that to me. I'm, I'm, I'm not usually emotional. There are times, but I'm not usually that emotional. Um, it's just people respond to different stimuli. Music is very powerful. And during worship, um, you're going to find people that can't keep their hands down. Others who can't keep their, 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 from, from shedding tears, uh, others who are really, really into it. The one thing that we want to do, Jake, is make sure that they're not attracting attention to themselves. Here at Calvary Chapel, we prefer to stand during the worship. That's, that's everybody standing during worship. And uh, that way, nobody is out of order. If we have everybody sitting down and there's a dozen people that want to stand up, that would typically attract attention away from the worship of Jesus and, and the attention will be drawn to those people. We don't allow people to um, cause disturbances. Uh, we, we certainly don't let people run around the sanctuary. Um, we've had people try, uh, but we want the worship to be decent and in order, but we also want people to have the freedom to be emotional. And we have some emotional people. So uh, it's not a matter of more spiritual. It's just that we're all different. You know, I can fall apart reading a Bible passage and somebody else um, fall apart during singing or during the worship, uh, but we're both having the same visceral reaction to uh, something that is is um, orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. So it's just that people are different. We just don't want people, Jake, um, who are going to cause other people to be distracted from their worship of God. I've been criticized over the years from time to time, Jake, because we didn't give people the freedom to dance or the freedom to run around and and some would like to get on their face on the ground. We don't we don't want people to do that because what we want is the focus to be on Jesus. Certainly there are people that like to get the attention and uh, it's very easy for us to say no, all the attention, all of the worship, all of the emotion goes to Jesus Christ. Uh, and I think... We've navigated that pretty successfully over these years. But this is a question uh, that we get from time to time. We get people that want to bring tambourines in. I never allow tambourines in the church. Uh, people say, but, but tambourines are in the Bible. And I said, yeah, so is the devil, but I don't want him in church either. So there's just different methods and different emotional reactions to worship. So, Jake, I hope that helps. Hal, boy, this is a great question, Hal. How important is it to visit Israel for Christians? I've been told my walk is not complete until we go. Hal, the reason I said this is an important question is because I have been almost made to feel guilty because I haven't been to Israel. It is nonsense for somebody to say you've got to go to a place in order for your walk to be complete. I think Israel is a great trip if you can afford it, if, you can, if you're a good traveler. I think Israel is a wonderful, wonderful trip. Um, go with a good tour guide, somebody that, you, that, that your church knows, and usually these are organized trips. Uh, I've seen people come back and the Bible just come to life for them. Now, for me, pretty much the Bible's already come to life. And I don't go, not because I don't want to go. I don't go for two reasons. One, I'm the worst traveler in the world. It would take me three months to recover from coming back from a long trip. We went to London and Scotland to do a Joy of Jesus there, and and it was great, but, but I, it literally took me two months to recover, and Israel is farther than that. The other reason um, that I haven't gotten, you know, hell, I just honestly don't feel that I can for a trip like this. And if the Lord told me to do it, I'd do it. But just for a tourist trip, 
uh, I just don't think I could be away from my people that long. Uh, I go on a vacation. I'm gone for less than two weeks, and uh, I feel like I'm I'm cut off, disconnected. Um, I need the vacation, so we go. But uh, Israel, it's a great trip. Um, I've seen it be such a blessing to many. On the other hand, it is um, arrogance for somebody to tell you your walk is not complete if you haven't been to Israel. Um, What makes your walk complete is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So if you're walking with Jesus and you're fine, then you don't need to go. But if you get the chance, go. If it wasn't the travel issue with me, then being away from our church for as long as that would take, uh, I I would like to go. I watch a lot of Israel videos. (laughs) Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday program. 340-9585 is our main number for your phone calls and questions. Let me give everybody a blessing, okay? I was just told by my producer that today is Karen Carpenter's birthday. So here's the blessing. Everybody go to YouTube. Not right now. Wait till 5 o'clock. Go to YouTube and and type in Karen Carpenter's name and you will hear what I believe is the greatest, purest female voice of my lifetime. Unbelievable. And, and no auto-tune back then. Just an absolute, a voice from the ages. And if, you, uh, if you're not blessed, I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked. That'll make things better. Single take recordings, this girl was absolutely the best. And by the way, her and her brother Richard Carpenter used to record at the same studio that Paula used to record in, in Downey, California, when Paula was making records and she was being asked by... Um, um, Motown to be the replacement for Diana Ross in the Supremes before um, I mean we weren't married yet but we were we were still we were just then hanging out together so Karen Carpenter the best voice ever I'll tell you a quick story and then I got a phone call waiting um, I used to have the kids come in uh, just before four o'clock to pray for the radio show every day and the, the little kids would come in and every day they, I'd have some music on the Beach Boys or the Righteous Brothers or Karen Carbon or something and so they'd come in and say okay who who are we going to listen to today and and I said today you're going to listen to the greatest female voice in the history of the world you know just kind of getting them all pumped up and one little boy Timothy he said hey what about my mom and his mom is Jocelyn on our worship team, and she might have the the other greatest voice, female voice, but it was so cute because he was protecting his mom. Let's go to the phone calls. We got Michael, or no, is this Michelle, Michelle uh, on line one from San Antonio. Michelle, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, yes, sir. Um well, my question is kind of, I mean, well, it's a question, nonetheless. Um, I have, uh, I didn't grow up in church. I was raised by uh, alcoholic parents, and my whole entire life has been a series of storms. And um, my faith is extraordinarily strong. Um, and I, I used to, uh, as I was growing up, I used to look to, like, a husband or a male figure to help me figure out, you know, how to get my relationship with God stronger, this, that, and the other. Um, And then I realized as I'd gotten older and went through some more storms, and with each storm, of course, we learn lessons um, or we're reprimanded for something or whatever the case may be. Um, Mm -hmm. And so um, 
with the lessons that I've learned, you know, I, I know that the, the, the number one thing that we're supposed to do is, is have a good relationship with God, good communication, um, being able to talk to him whenever we need to, and um, being very passionate, fervent about it. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, like I said, I didn't grow up in church, but I've gone, and um, whenever the opportunity, you know, whenever I could, well, I mean, I know I could, could have always gone, but I didn't make it a point, you know, but I did always go. If you know what I mean? But um, mm-hmm. what my question basically is, is that, um, okay, well, let me back up. Through all the lessons and stuff that I had learned, um, sorry. Um, it's, it's okay, Michelle. I learned, <laughs> I had learned that um, nobody's going to help you build your relationship with God but you. And with each and every passing lesson or adverse, I used to say that I, I was the queen of adversity, and now I just say that I'm very, very blessed because God knows that I can handle those things. And that's why he gives them to me. Um, and so, like I said, you know, I started looking within myself to build my relationship with God and start to learn more about what I've already heard in the Bible. You know, I've heard that. Yeah, well, what does it mean to you? Well, now it means something to me. But the problem that I have is that um, the Bible says not to be lukewarm. We're an abomination to God if you are. Not that I'm lukewarm because I don't tell people about God, because any time I get the opportunity to witness to somebody, I'm on it like white on rice, and I love doing it. But my everyday walk, when it's just me and him, and I'm in the truck on my way home, or um, walking through the house and picking up this, that, and the other, and thanking God for the fact that I had to pick up my grandkids' toys and, you know, (laughs) things like that. But um, I'm not on fire. I've never been on fire, and I want, you know, I, I know that we need to have that passion behind our mm-hmm. relationship and stuff like that with them. How do you get that? I mean, I read my Bible, I pray, but it, it's never caught fire. Yeah. Michelle, I, I hope I can help if you would just kind of listen and uh, let me, uh, I was prayerfully considering what you were saying, uh, a couple of things so you know that I understand where you're coming from. First, I didn't grow up in church either. Um, that has been a blessing for me in the sense, only in the sense that um, I, I didn't have any old baggage to get rid of. Uh, I didn't have any religious um, um things to go through um i just i just came to jesus and fell in love with the lord a couple of things um to be zealous for the lord requires being with him just being with him and that's all day every day that that's where passion comes from it doesn't come from the, the the discipline of reading your Bible, it doesn't come from the discipline of praying. It doesn't even come from the discipline of going to church. Our passion, Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So uh, to, to, to be a strong Christian um, is to be a joyful Christian. And we also know that, that not only in his presence is the fullness of joy, the psalmist tells us, in his presence is the joy, and that joy creates gratitude. Gratitude creates passion because we remember who we used to be. We remember who we used to be. Now, you, you've, you've not been too involved in church. One of the things that you really have to, to, to deal with is the, the commandment, do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. And somebody who says, well, I love Jesus with all of my heart, and yet they're not being obedient. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Now, here's why we're not to forsake the assembling together of the saints, because it's in the the, 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 the fellowship of believers. That's where God uses you to be a blessing to others. So often we just think, well, it's about how I feel, or am I going to get blessed? But the real blessing Jesus said it's better to give than receive. The real blessing comes when he can use you and the gifts that he's given you to be a blessing to others. And that's where church is so important. You said, um, and I'm quoting, nobody is going to help me. I have to look to myself for help. That's the kind of Christian that is always struggling, is always straining they're trying to do better, and they're trying to be better. They're trying to pray more. They're trying to read more. 
And all that is is hard work. When you really and truly fall in love with Jesus, it's a labor of love. And the difference between hard work and a labor of love is infinite. So what you do, Michelle, is you need to be involved in the church. For your walk to be healthy and balanced, you need to be involved with a local fellowship of believers, a good Bible teaching church. They'll they'll help you learn more about who Jesus is and how he would respond to things. But then you get the opportunity. Now, I'm going to give you one perfect example, Michelle. You're a perfect um, uh, candidate for this council because you've said your life has been a series of storms. See, God says, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you can comfort others with the comfort you yourself have received from God. God will use you to be a blessing to people going through things that you've already been through. You can stand and testify to God's faithfulness, to God's goodness. You can tell others, you know, they feel like the world is caving in on them. I can't make it one more day. You can say you're going to make it. And here's how I know, because I made it when I went through something like that. And in that process, God will use you to bless others. And that's when you feel the power of the Holy Spirit flowing, coming upon you and flowing through you to others. And Michelle, that's the source of passion. And remember, zeal comes from passion. And we're to be passionate about our relationship with Jesus. It's just one of those things where you realize that God has a plan for you. And the one small criticism, and I don't mean this in a personal way at all, but as you shared with me, it was pretty much all about you. And the, and the Christian who's really passionate for Jesus understands it is really not about them at all. It's not about how I feel. It's not about what I go through. It's about God's goodness and his faithfulness, even when I'm going through difficult things. And that's the message that we want to share with other people. God, Michelle, will use somebody like you in, in, in to such a marvelous degree that right now you can't even begin to imagine the plan he has for you. So find a church and invest in it. By that I mean dig in. Get to know people. Let them get to know you. Make sure it's a good Bible teaching church so you learn about Jesus and then the Spirit of God will begin giving you direction. And as you follow Jesus, remember I said earlier, just be with Jesus. That's that's our source of joy. As you're following Jesus, then that joy and that passion is going to overwhelm you in, in the most wonderful of ways. Let me also say this and then I'll get to Thomas who's holding on the next line. Michelle, I've been saved just last week, 31 years. And I love Jesus more today than I did the day I was saved. And the day I got saved, believe me, I was radically saved. And and I was so full of Jesus, I couldn't shut up about him. I mean, I was just all Jesus all the time. And And my faith and my walk is more mature now. But it's also more passionate. And that's the life Jesus wants for you. That's the life he wants for you. You cannot do that on your own. God didn't build us to be alone. I always say there's no Lone Ranger Christians, and yet so many of us, we try to do things on our own. And often, and not for you, Michelle, because I didn't get a hint of pride, but often it's pride. We don't want people to know what we're going through. We don't want people to know that we've got problems, um, when in fact the body of Christ is a family. And I've been blessed by the Lord. I'm surrounded by the most wonderful family, I think, in the whole world. It's because... They know me. They know the good things. They know the bad things. This is my family. And when you start serving, the Word of God comes to life, and the power of God starts flowing through you, and you won't want to settle for anything less. And believe me, you'll be radical. Michelle, this was a great call, and I'm going to be praying for you. So if you don't mind Check in with us from time to time and let me know how you're doing. I will continually be praying for you. That is a promise. Let's go to Thomas holding on line two. Thomas, thanks for your patience. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Nice to speak with you. And thank you for giving me the privilege to speak with you, brother. Thank, okay. Thank you, Thomas. I just I just wanted to touch on what you spoke about yesterday and 
how when you moved into your home there and you you were talking with that uh, gentleman, that neighbor, and then, you know, he was asking personal questions about you and you guys were getting to know who you guys were and stuff like that. And then when you turned it back on him, and not to, in a bad way, but you were saying, okay, well, let me find out something about you now. And uh, you did, and then kaboom, he lowers a boom and just, like you said, you're the biggest jerk on the on the earth. And I'm like, you know what? That's the first time I ever heard something like that from Ron because I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what happens to me. And I just want to commend you and just keep the fight, the good fight that we're all supposed <laughs> to be doing. It was, it was great. It was really great, Pastor Ron. Thank you, Thomas. God bless you, man. I appreciate it. That, that was okay, encouraging. Thanks. Uh huh. You know uh, that that was a that, that one. Maybe I wasn't clear yesterday, but one thing, uh, it wasn't. I was digging in and asking things about him. He he just was volunteering stuff, and 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 it, I, I in fact I even asked Paula. We were out there talking one day with him and his wife, or his the girl he was living with, and I said, Paula, did that sound to you like they're not married? And she said, Well, I think so, but we didn't really know for sure. And and at that point, it was it was just a couple of days later. He started talking to me about the Bible, and it's the best book in the world. And I'm telling you, Thomas, the Lord would not leave me alone. I just had to 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 ask him, and I made it clear he understood. I wouldn't have said anything to somebody that wasn't a professing Christian. I certainly would never say anything to the girl because she made it clear she wasn't a believer. But he, oh yeah, I'm a believer. I love Jesus and. The Bible's the best book ever. Um, at that moment, God wanted him to be held accountable. And I was as nice as I could be. Um, certainly, he's a nice man. Uh, he's never been a jerk to me other than now he avoids me. He won't speak. Um, but you know what? That's what happens when you confront somebody. And, and I, again, confront is a, a, a harsh word, I think, most often misunderstood. But when you take somebody's words and say, look, you said you love God. You said you love the Bible. And yet you're living in a way that the Bible forbids. And my whole point was, come on, man. Let's do this the right way. Marry the girl. I think I even told him, I know a pastor who can marry you to get, to get things right if this way it's going to be. But um, you know what? We've got to be tough enough. And Thomas, you deal with the same thing. Anybody who shares Jesus with people, anybody who tells somebody that you're living in a way that God doesn't approve of, we need to be tough enough to deal with that. So Thomas, thank you for the encouragement. I appreciate it more than you know. Here is a question from Russell. Oh, Russell, you're going to make me cry. Russell said, Pastor, what is your biggest source of heartbreak as a pastor? Um, Russell, this is the easiest question after 26 and a half years as a pastor, a um, little more than that now, I, uh, the, my biggest source of heartbreak is people who simply won't let God change them. We've had people who've been sitting in our church for more than 20 years who've never changed. People who were not kind, not nice, and they're still not kind, they're still not nice. And they know God is convicting them because they've been sitting and listening to my messages for all these years. But but you see, it's often people like that, they come to church to sort of check off a, a box on their spiritual to-do list. Well, it's Sunday, got to go to church. Uh, instead of coming to church to meet the creator of all things who wants to change them. And the reason we teach the, the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter we do it so that people can listen to the Holy Spirit say, hey, he's talking about you now. How about you start being kind? Um, you know, Russell, I, I sit um, and, and as I'm preaching the messages, uh, I know there are people that, that love God. At least that's what they say and they, they've demonstrated they love God. But they're, they're content to let their marriages be a mess. They've lost hope faith and they've adapted and the whole point of listening to the word of God or opening the Bible is to change to let the living supernatural word of God change you and it's his power it's not our power and when people settle for less than what God wants for them 
it absolutely breaks my heart. I mean, those people, most of them wrestle, are going to be in heaven. And on the day they stand before the Lord, they are going to see what they missed out on. And it will be a tragedy. They'll still get to heaven, but they're going to see, with a loss of rewards, what they missed out on. So that's easy, Russell. That's my biggest source of heartbreak as a pastor. It happens all the time. Now, obviously, with what I do, uh, there's lots of sources of heartbreak. People get sick. People die, especially, you know, as I get older and have been here for longer and longer, uh, the people that we're ministering to, they're getting older, too, and we're saying goodbye to people that we care about. That's really, really sad. But it's not heartbreaking because we know that they're in the presence of the Lord. But when I watch, people refuse to change. And they're constantly frustrating, quenching the Holy Spirit, the work he wants to do in them, so he can do a greater work through them. To settle for less is just a tragedy to me. So, hope that makes sense. Here's a question from Monty. He says, do you believe God created the world in six literal 24-hour days? Monty, I do. Yes. Yes. The word in Hebrew for day is the same word. It's only used one way throughout Scripture. It describes a literal 24-hour day. So, yes, I believe that. I also think that is really, really important to a fruitful Christian walk. In the beginning, God. First four words of the Bible. First four words of John's Gospel. In the beginning. Do you believe those words? And once you settle that, once you decide that, then it really makes a lot of sense. Yes, it is. I believe with all of my heart it is. So, Dwanti, I hope that helps. Here's a question from Anthony from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. I recently read that Pastor, and that's in quotes and I don't know why, uh, John Gray, who was mentored by Joel Osteen, who cheated on his wife multiple times. He went in front of his congregation with 10,000 people and said he cheated on his wife because the devil made him do it. His congregation wife applauded him for coming out and blaming the devil. He ultimately bought his wife uh, I'm sorry, $200,000 Lamborghini. My wife believes that his wife made him do it. I told her it's the flesh, not the devil. I asked her, would you believe me if I cheated on you and blame the devil? She said no, laugh out loud. My questions are, when is the devil? When is the flesh? Can the devil make you do anything? Um, Anthony, this is all, all, all flesh. Now, obviously the devil tempts us. But we all, if we're real Christians, we all have the power to say no. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. But, the problem is we don't want to say no. So, you know, I, I, I know who you're talking about, uh, this pastor. I, I didn't recognize the name at first, but, but the story. Uh, anybody who's mentored by Joel Osteen doesn't know the Bible. Nor would the people that he's married to, nor would the people who go to his church. They don't know the Bible. They can spout verses, but they absolutely don't know the Bible at all. So here's the thing. You've got churches like Joel Osteen's and like John Gray's and like so many others that pander to the flesh. If you pander to the flesh, the flesh is going to overwhelm you. And that's exactly what happened. So this isn't the devil at all. That's just an out. And the, the, the really sad fact is that the people in the church would let him off the hook and, and he's pastoring again instead of throwing him out, which is exactly what they should have done. He has disqualified himself from being a pastor. He's disqualified himself, and yet the people will applause. Well, you know, God forgives. Even David was restored. David wasn't a pastor. David didn't have the Holy Spirit living in him. David couldn't have bought um, a $200,000 Lamborghini. So um, I'm sure there was some negotiation between him and his wife. But the bigger issue here is men like that, and I'll include his mentor, Joel Osteen, 
have no business being in a pulpit. They don't know what the Bible says. And what's worse, they don't care. So, Anthony, that's uh, as much as I want to get into on that. Let me see, I've got two minutes. Just under. Just under two minutes. Um, Samantha says, how do we explain being complete in Christ, yet we still sin? Um, Samantha, this is pretty simple. It's, it's flesh versus spirit. It doesn't matter that I'm complete in Christ, and I am. I've got everything that I need. He's given me everything. But if I sow to the flesh, then I'm going to reap from the flesh. If I sow to the Spirit, I'm going to reap from the Spirit. So every day we have a choice. We who are Christians have a choice. Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve me? Am I going to let flesh lead or am I going to let Jesus lead? And no matter how complete we are in Christ... We still have these human flesh and blood bodies. And the the reality is we're going to sin if we're not with Jesus. And I don't think that's a difficult explanation at all. So, yes, we sin because we're sinners. We have a sin nature. Jesus in us can deliver us. Problem is most of us say no. We'd rather sin. Thank you for the questions. Good show today. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. Reminder, tomorrow we will have a rebroadcast of a date-day show, and then I'll be coming to you live from Houston on Wednesday, on Friday. Friday. Pray for the ladies. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.